Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome to our chest, the flagship podcast of not knowing what color Spotify's logo is. I'm your friend, Eli. It's so hard. So hard. Alex Franz is here. I'm not colorblind, but I think I might be. After the color quiz. Yeah. David Pierce is here. Hi. I got the first four right on our color quiz and was so, like, absolutely outrageously proud of myself. And then I think got the next three wrong and have not forgiven (laughs) myself for it. It's not great. So it's design week here at The Verge. We've got a great package. It's super fun. We've got pieces on UI. We've got pieces on the, like how the logout button on website works or more importantly, doesn't work. We've got pieces on accessibility and design that are coming. That's very exciting. But the highlight of the whole week was our color quiz, uh, which is designed by our uh, associate creative director, Chris Ratke, who's a genius, our engineer, uh, Graham, who is an evil mastermind. And it's it's just made to torture us. And all you're supposed to do is you open it, you see five shades of blue, and you got to pick the one that's the Facebook logo. And the 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 thing that makes it evil is that as you roll over each of the shades of blue, there's an actual Facebook logo that changes. So then you just sit there arguing with yourself because every one of them looks correct. Well, the Facebook one's also like a cheat. Because there's like an old Facebook color on there. So you're like, that's the one because I haven't checked Facebook in 10 years. I've been taking this quiz over and over again all week. I've, I can't get better at it. The only <laughs> one that I get consistently is Snapchat. I'm very good at yellow. Yeah, just just yellow. Well, so uh, the only app on my phone that Max wants to use is Snapchat, but she can't she can't read. It's, and it's because she's four. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, an important to, detail. She's four. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. It's, so she just calls it the ghost button. Yeah. It's perfect sense. First of all, unbelievable yeah. product idea for Snapchat. To sell something <laughs> called a ghost button. I don't know what it does. She'll just pick up my phone and be like, ghost button. <laughs> and it's like, and then we just do the filters. So I know what that one looks like. Yeah. Yelp? No. No. No idea what color red Yelp is. And there's actually there's science in the quiz. If you haven't taken it, go on the site, do the color quiz. It will drive you bananas. And then with a sense of smugness and superiority. Go make other people take it. <laughs> yes. Uh, there are people on our staff who've gotten them all right. Uh, we, uh, over 20,000 people have taken this quiz so far. I think it's up to 50,000. It's up to 50,000? A lot of people have taken this quiz. And like you can see the scores. They normalize like around 4.5. 
I got six the second. The first time I did it, I got four. Oh my God. The second time I got six. And the two I got wrong, I was like, that can't be the color. I'm going to pick this other one. And it was the color. So I feel like I could do eight if I just practice. C, C, C. Just keep doing it. David, how'd you do? I ended up with six out of eight. Yelp was the one that I got to and was just instantly like, I'm not going to know this one. This isn't going to happen. So I just basically like closed my eyes and hammered a shade of red. And that was that. Um, The one I got wrong that I'm furious, like I, I can still, you know, picture the moment when I got it wrong was Spotify. And I was down to two shades of green. And my my rubric was basically like pick the second best looking one if I don't know which one it is, because usually there's one that's like simple and clean and chill and like no tech company is ever going to choose that one. <laughs> so you pick the the second chillest one. And that's usually the one. And it served me really well, except in Spotify's case where they just went like full bonkers neon and it just is supposed to hurt your brain. Yeah. Spotify. Yeah. And lift. <laughs> yeah. Go take it. Go look at all of Design Week. It's super fun. It's great. Sarah Jong has a piece about the poop emoji in legal filings and how it's breaking database systems across our country's court system. Very good. Like cackling when I was reading it. Um, we've got one about the shuffle button. And then we, we were doing this big partnership with the Computer History Museum about the history of the Lisa, Apple Lisa, the precursor to Macintosh. It's super cool. Go watch that video. Go read that piece. All great. Design week happening. Go look at it. Take the color quiz. Fail at the color quiz. Tell us what you got. Tell, we want to know. Well, the reason I want more people to take it is right now the audience average score is higher than the Verge team score. <laughs> I feel like if we can just get more people to take it, we, we, we the, the staff can outdo yeah. the world. I, I think everybody's cheating. I think everybody's like going and like they've got it on their phone. They're holding their phone up next to it. Uh, Whereas we didn't. We took it the real way. Yeah, we all we had to take it way. on camera in a <laughs> conference room so that we could make like marketing videos for it. It's <laughs> My favorite was someone on our team who I won't name said in Slack as we were all talking about it like, oh, I didn't do very well. But then when I got to be on a monitor with a better color gamut, I got I did better. And it was like, oh, OK, I'm sure you did. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Controllers broke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been the lag. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Go take the color quiz. Look at Design Week. A very cool uh, situation on TheVerge.com this week. Speaking of TheVerge.com, a story that we've been covering. This is the worst segue. The worst is going. Speaking of websites that start with the letter T. Twitter is kind of a disaster this week. <laughs> much better. Much better segue. It's, it's not great. It's what we're doing. Uh, Twitter had a very hard weekend, mm-hmm. I would say, uh, in the context of Twitter's other weekends, actually not that hard, like equally bad. Yeah. Uh, but this is the weekend they that they started turning off verification. Have you have you been de-verified yet? No. Same. Uh, there was a rumor going around that if you blocked the verified account on Twitter, they could not de-verify you. I, I did it just to see if that'll happen. I was like, I got nothing to lose. <laughs> but like, David, the the actual mechanics of unverifying and then what they actually did, none of it seems to make any sense. No. So what turns out to be the case, there was some really good Washington Post reporting on this a few days ago, is that essentially there's just like a database of all the verified people on Twitter. You would think this is like a, a thing that lives inside of the app that is somehow sort of controllable and understandable. It's really not. It's like somebody just went and like pasted a, a picture onto your profile and then like wrote down in a line of a spreadsheet. I pasted the picture onto their profile. Yes. It's slightly more technical than that, but not much more technical than that. And so what that means is what seems to be happening is there is no way to 
sort of systematically find out and remove verification. So simultaneously, what has been going on is that the whole idea of paying $8 a month for Twitter Blue has become deeply embarrassing, which is what we've <laughs> talked about on this show. And so I called it victory lap for yeah, me. Yeah, you did. Like you, you continue to have been right about that. So I'm so worried you're going to be right about the other thing. <laughs> I am. I'm going to win that bet. Monica, Liz, get ready. We're I'm not gonna, talking about this me. now. I just listen, we, this, a lot of things happened while I was on leave, but I'm back now and we can't do this anymore, Alex. Uh, <laughs> it's coming. Just Alex ready. thinks Elon's going to tweet a dong. I just, let's be clear. That's what she thinks is going to happen. It's, it's, every day we get a little closer. <laughs> anyway, Alex, victory lap one, blue check, mark of shame. Go yes. ahead. Continue, David. Yeah. So it, I, being verified is now bad if you've paid for Twitter Blue. And also they can't unverify people. So it's become this messy thing where they've actually changed the message on verification to they either paid for Twitter Blue or are a legacy verified account. And there's no real indication if that's sort of the end state or if it's going to change. People have come up with Chrome extensions that will show you which is which. Like there's one script that replaces the verified icon with the nerd emoji if you paid for Twitter <laughs> blue, which is just wonderful. And so it's gotten to this point now where this there's it's just a disaster, right? Like the upside of paying for Twitter blue is that you get more play. You get shown in the for you page, you get supposedly upranked in replies and things like that. So it's literally just a mark of thirstiness. And so there's no reason anybody would pay for it. And so you've had people like LeBron James say, of course, I'm not going to pay for Twitter Blue, which is a terrible look for Elon Musk and Twitter. Uh, you have folks like the New York Times who have said there was a big round of media organizations talking about whether or not they're going to pay for Twitter Blue. And then Elon Musk vindictively was like, well, then we're going to take that away from them. So he took off the blue check for the New York Times, but not a bunch of the other New York Times accounts. So it's just <laughs> some of which, by the way, some of which have gold checks, whatever that I, is. <laughs> yeah. So the, the is my, here's my understanding in this uh, disclosure alert. We run Twitter accounts. I Yeah, sure. I know what to tell you. We're all verified uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Disc disclosure. I, I have a phone. It contains. <laughs> All the apps. <laughs> I use them all. We have accounts. Mila, did you pay for Twitter Blue? Be honest. I did This not. is a safe space. Did you no, pay so for, I paid for, for old Twitter pay. Blue? He paid for it. I paid for Reckless old, Patel paid for you know, it. Reckless Patel paid, and then got banned. <laughs> my my doppelganger got ba uh, banned for impersonating me, <laughs> even though that person was Alex who's sitting right here. What, it's gone now. It's you, gone. It's amazing. all gone. All right. Truly, truly wonderful. So we run Verge accounts. Yeah. The Verge has an account. We Verge reviews, Verge science. We've got a bunch of accounts. What we were told, and I think has become publicly disclosed by Twitter, is that if you were one of the top 10,000 followed accounts on Twitter, you got Twitter blue. You got a check mark for free. And you don't have to like use the API tools. And then you could like have five affiliated accounts. But then if you weren't one of those and you paid for it, the affiliated accounts got like gold check marks and then like icons next to them. Too much. Very unclear like how it actually works. So the Times, some of their accounts have gold check marks, which means they're affiliated with the New York Times. But the New York Times does not have a check mark because Elon's <laughs> mad at them. Perfect. I don't know, man. Like all that's crazy. So we, the Verge accounts are affiliated. They're in it. Something, something, something. API usage rules, something. Who knows? It will change tomorrow. Our poor, like, audience director, Ruben, is just, like, beside himself every day. Softly no weeping. What's going on? And then the other piece of the puzzle 
as far as I understand it, is like he's just adding labels to things like NPR saying you're state affiliated media. Yeah. And you just get there's just a there's a conference room, a Twitter headquarters that's been stripped of furniture because he sold it all on eBay. And he's just sitting on the floor, like adding and removing there's, labels from people's Twitter's account. There's an air mattress in the corner. For some he has added beds. Yeah, there's beds. It's like people are living yeah. there. And he's like, he's like, I don't know, make it the doge icon. <laughs> It's actually good. Like, there's a part of it that I love. Yeah. Which is, what if you were allowed to screw with a major social network? It's like, yeah, I would just do whatever I want. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> I mean, it, it is sort of fun to imagine, like, what he would do differently if he were trying to kill it as fast as possible. Like, w- would any of his moves change? It no, This all seems so destructive. And the thing is, like, the Twitter blue stuff is is silly and funny and whatever. And like the changing the Twitter icon to the Doge icon is like, whatever. Ultimately, I have no feelings about that. It, it's it's sort of hilarious and doesn't really matter at all. But like Twitter blue is the overwhelming favorite to be the future of Twitter if Twitter has a future. Like its ad business has tanked. Its usership is going down. Like Elon Musk has said over and over, he has like big weird banking ideas that he won't let go of. But like fundamentally, the way Twitter is going to survive, if it's going to survive, is to get a lot of people to pay for Twitter blue. and. Basically, all that has happened so far is paying for Twitter Blue has gotten deeply embarrassing, and <laughs> no one who has any actual like reputation to protect will do it. Like there was somebody yeah. who was tweeting the other day, like imagine if you had a platform. Imagine what it would cost to get LeBron James to provide content for you, and imagine if by some crazy miracle you had done that for free. <laughs> imagine then what would happen if you just systematically drove him away. <laughs> yeah, for ninety six dollars a year. Yeah. It was a very good tweet. I don't remember who it was. It was very good. It's a good tweet. We'll, we'll find yeah. it and put it in the show notes because it's it's a good tweet. That is the part to me. And there are arguments that I've seen from people I respect for paying. Right, If you run a small publication and you are paying and you get boosted in for you, sure, that might work for you. I've seen arguments from advertisers right now of small companies where like, this is the most efficient advertising we can buy because no one else is here. Yeah, for it's eight bucks a month, it's worth a shot. And then pillow guy. Yeah. No, not even like uh, not just Twitter blue, like actually buying Twitter ads right now. Oh, interesting. Because they're so cheap because there's no it's, there's it's no like you. There. It's you and the MyPillow guy. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. It's what you're doing. <laughs> like, and so you can just buy a reach on Twitter as long as it exists. So there, there's a dynamic there that's happening. But the more important thing that's happening and we don't have to like talk about Mastodon <laughs> because who knows. But the mo- more important thing that's happening is anecdotally. A lot of people I know are like, my engagement on Twitter has plummeted. Yep. The audiences aren't real. It, it's all just a bunch of people yelling about Elon all the time. Even there was the, the you know, the Trump indictment this week. Bleh, like, it's quiet. There was a time when not being on Twitter during that day would have felt like a huge miss. Like all the actions unfolding on Twitter. And I was like, I just opened cable news. <laughs> like, I... I'm ooh, this is weird. Yeah. Like what a weird reaction to this day is like I'm gonna watch cable news <laughs> because <laughs> Twitter Bloomberg. isn't any good. Yeah. It was not it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. It's like just kind of weirdos being angry about I say that as somebody who's still on Twitter. I, <laughs> I, I'm I, one of those weirdos. I count myself as one of those weirdos. But yeah, it's just people being vaguely angry about whatever's happening that day. And it like boils Twitter's boiled down to like the most obnoxious elements of twitter previously yeah with no real value added and then an elon musk tweet in every other slot on your timeline because he demands it i I actually don't ever see him on on mine i don't know why how is that possible 
Maybe he blocked me. Maybe I blocked him. I don't know. A very funny thing that happened this week uh, is that Elon is using the For You tab as well. Yeah. So he's just replying to ancient tweets. <laughs> so he just replied to an ancient tweet from our own James Vincent about Bard and Bing citing each other. Yeah. And he just hit it with a lol. So like James woke up to an army of bots lol. that follow Elon around the internet, repeating whatever he said replying to like a tweet from two weeks ago like a perfect encapsulation of the, of the twitter moment do you think yeah. elon's ever going to realize that so many of his followers that he thinks love him and adore him are bots like we knew he he's always had an issue with bots but do you think he realizes that like what he bought was a giant bot network oh he definitely like, knows that he bought on? he tried to not buy it because of the bot <laughs> networks if you will recall that's true and now he's like wait they're the only they're what i got i don't want to a, a big theme of the podcast today for the audience is the hosts assigning themselves stories that we've talked about and not yet published. <laughs> so David, I don't want to get too much into what comes next in Mastodon, but you and I have talked a lot about activity pub. We have, and you have promised me a story next week on this so we can follow this up, but there's no big competitor to Twitter yet, right? Like every other social network is like, uh, what if we were TikTok instead? Yeah, that is kind of happening. And I think, it looks increasingly unlikely that Mastodon is going to be that thing. Like Mastodon's growing really fast. It's doing really well. I think anyone paying attention would say that Mastodon is a success story, right? But it is like several orders of magnitude smaller than Twitter. And it's even having its own funny issues now because Mastodon set itself up as such an aggressive counter to Twitter that now, like if you're on Mastodon, you're obligated to call Twitter the bird site. You can't even say Twitter. You just say the bird site. And if you if you acknowledge being on Mastodon and on Twitter, it's like you've violated the spirit of Mastodon and thus everyone will yell at you. Like it's it's really become a thing that if you are a person who uses Mastodon and Twitter, you are like unwelcome on Mastodon. And in a really funny way, that is a huge problem for Mastodon because it is supposed to be the place that is like better than Twitter. And instead it's just people <laughs> yelling about Twitter, which is also what Twitter is. Like we've accomplished nothing here. And so I think we're in a place now where I keep talking to people who are really excited about like the next phase of things, right? And I think ActivityPub in this whole idea of a decentralized internet and social ecosystem that doesn't rely on one platform and one person, because we've seen what happens now, right? Like we, we all used to talk about, you know, what would happen if Mark Zuckerberg stopped being the CEO of Facebook and someone with less good intentions came in, that all seems like hilariously naive now in retrospect. But like we used to have those conversations. And then it was like, what if a maniac buys Twitter and does insane stuff with it every single day? Like we know now, right? And so there's this big push towards an internet and a social world that is immune to those things. But I think there was a brief moment where it was like maybe Mastodon is ready to take all of this stuff in. And for a big variety of reasons, including like discovery and identity and its own like toxicity, it's just not there. But I keep talking to people who are absolutely not put off and are like, fast forward 12 months from now and we're going to have really exciting answers to these questions. Sure. So. so there's a difference there between Mastodon and we just had Eugene Rochko, the CEO of Mastodon, the protocol on Decoder. So Mastodon, there's Mastodon the company. Yeah. There's Mastodon the protocol. Okay. There's Mastodon that social the website. Mm. These are all different things. It's like Apple TV. <laughs> yeah. There's God. Mastodon Plus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Max. Um, but they're all different things. Yeah. David, when you say like you can't talk about Twitter on Mastodon, do you mean on Mastodon.social? Because there's like 9,000 different servers. 
Yes. Well, and like, welcome to the problem, right? It's like, uh, on Mastodon, where do you go? Uh, do you go to a server that is just like run by a dude with a server in his house? Like a lot of people do. Uh, do you go to Mastodon.social, which is the one that is officially run by Mastodon, the company, but is so overloaded with people that it crashes all the time and they actually don't allow signups often? Do you just pick one and then move later? Like we, These are questions you don't have to answer when it's go to Twitter and pick a username. And the, the like workflow for like, I, I want to go to this new internet. Where do I go? Uh, and, and like Casey Newton keeps making this point, which is like people don't want to administer their own servers. and we're we're kind of in a phase where doing this is not you don't have to administer your own server but you have to like know what it means to administer a server in order to use <laughs> mastodon and that's too much work and so we're we're in this interim phase where like activity pub is a is a protocol by which a lot of different tools can come up that you will use the same follower graph the same content and build lots of different experiences, right? It was like, what if you could use your Twitter account to post Instagram photos? Like, that's the future. That's where we're headed. That's what everybody believes in. None of that is built yet. And the problem with Mastodon is that it just requires two steps too much work. And so the people who are mad enough at Twitter to leave are already there. And they're mad at the people who aren't mad enough at Twitter to leave. (laughs) And so uh, it just becomes this sort of self-perpetuating thing that like until it gets easier, people are just going to stay where it's easy. And overwhelmingly, that's still Twitter. Like it's hard to leave a thing even when it sucks. But it's probably like Mastodon's not going to be the thing, right? I don't know. What, what, what comes next? So there's, there's a universe of competitors. Right. So Mastodon is the decentralized one. It is built on this protocol called ActivityPub. Right. That I will not shut up about. Yes. Like I've been running around the halls of this company being like, ActivityPub. I love like, it. It's kick ass. Making David write a story about it. Uh, there's <laughs> just something it? there. Like if you, and you just look at the universe of people who are building on it. Mm-hmm. Meta is building some sort of Twitter competitor that is built on ActivityPub. Flipboard is all Tumblr. ActivityPub. Yep. We had Matt Mullenweg on Decoder. He said Tumblr and WordPress are going to support ActivityPub which is kind of wild to think about Tumblr like being a decentralized social network that can interact with Mastodon. Like, that's weird, right? Yeah. Mozilla is going to do something with it. Like, you just see these companies, these like OG web companies and people be like, all right, we can tear the walled gardens down using this new protocol. And we'll talk about it more after David's story comes out next week, so I don't (laughs) get the whole thing away. That's just cool. Yeah. Then there's like post.news, which is a Twitter competitor that is totally closed and I think Care Swisher is on the board. They have a great proposition, which is that if you sign up for it, you use it, you see a New York Times article that you like, they've built microtransactions into the app to let you slide through their paywall. Okay. That's, that's cool. cool. Yeah, that's cool. Like, that's a thing Twitter should have built ages ago and never could get done. Yeah. They're starting with that. Then there's a thing called Spoutable, which I haven't used. I don't know it Spoutable. Seems, but people keep asking me about it. <laughs> You know, in the way that like it's that it's that moment, it's like of uh, evolutionary explosion, like Cambrian explosion, yep. where people will just send me emails. It's like, well, the Verge engage was spoutable, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Are you a cop? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> <laughs> but like a lot of sports people are on it, it, and you just see like, okay, there's a bunch of new networks starting. Are you looking at it? I'm trying to, but you have to create an account. See, never there mind. It, it bounced right out. Well, I'm uh, done. I, I just think it's really interesting to see this many new competitors. Because it's obvious that the thing is falling apart. Yeah. Yes. That's the best part of this. And, they, and yeah. the dough. Everybody, like overwhelmingly in the course of reporting this story, 
I have asked people, like, why do you think this is the moment? Because people have been working on this idea of like distributed open social for 25 years. Like, this is not a new idea. There have been a million attempts of it. Like, remember Jabber back in the day when you could put all of your IM (laughs) clients into one app? Like, that's this. That's the same thing. You just talk to all your friends. It doesn't matter where they are. Like, that is functionally the exact same idea. And we ran away from that because Google Talk got really big and Google said, well, we don't need to deal with XMPP. And so they stopped supporting it and it all fell apart. And that is just what happens. Vergecast. Yeah, that's just what happens. And so I keep asking people, like, why do you think this is the moment? Why is there so much excitement? And almost every single person, I can't think of one person I've talked to for the story who hasn't said because of Elon, because Elon Musk showed up and made abundantly clear to a lot of people how bad this can go and how fast and how ugly it is to have something that you've invested this much time and energy into fall apart like this. Like there are so many people and I'm one of them who have stories about making friends on Twitter and like we all, you know, the real Twitter is the friends we made along the way. Like it's, <laughs> it's a it's a really important place to a lot of people and it's just crumbling in a way that I think is really painful. And so the pitch is now like what if that can't happen anymore? And I think it's it's sinking in for people in a way it never has before. It's just that the right product for it doesn't really seem to have appeared yet. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you are almost certainly the sort of person that can deal with your own server. Just a guess I'm making. It's not that hard. I, you, you've, you've probably got a NAS. You probably have a Plex server that you don't want to tell the authorities about. <laughs> it's okay. I support you. <laughs> you're, you're using it to distribute Linux. Yeah. I know what you're doing. <laughs> it's the best way to use it. <laughs> Only Linux. It's all I share on my open source, the open source textbooks and Linux on Alex's Plex <laughs> server. Look, you're probably the sort of person you can figure this stuff out. You should start a Mastodon account just for the experience of doing it because it's difficult. And then you should start a PixelFed account. PixelFed is the activity pub Instagram. Okay. Same deal. You got to find a server, all that, blah, blah, blah. And then you should see posting from Twitter to Instagram is a thing you can do with those services, yep. right? From Mastodon to PixelFed, from PixelFed to Mastodon. You can make a PixelFed post from your Mastodon account. Like that is, that's the magic, right? Yeah. And there's just something there. Like once you do it, you're like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. And I know, like, usually we spend this entire show talking about AI and that's where all the hype is. But the, I think the thing that actually changes the nature of the social internet is somewhere in here. And then I promise we'll have a story about it next week. We'll actually talk about the actual story with the actual reporting. But like, I just like watching this week in particular with Twitter. Where like the legacy thing happened, the Trump stuff having no impact on Twitter, like cable news for the last decade has been people with great haircuts reading tweets. And it was beautiful. (laughs) Was it? I loved it. It might have destroyed democracy. (laughs) Just a little, just a little. And to watch it this week and be like, oh, there's no, there's literally no loop here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is like, oh, the thing is over. The vibrancy of the thing is over. I don't know when Aaron Rodgers is going to the Jets. I don't know if it's going to happen. But there is there have been years of my life where I have one Twitter list that's just all the Packers beat reporters. And I used to check it a thousand times a day. And now I don't. Oh, that's crazy. to me. That's actually a really good example of like, where are those people going to go? Like, are we going to yeah. lose that? Should we lose that? Are we are, does everybody go to mass? Like, I don't know. Casey on platformer wrote a good thing about this, like why journalists can't quit Twitter. And like as a journalist who quit Twitter, I'm here to tell you, like, it is possible. It's actually not nearly as hard as anyone thinks. But there is just something to like, as long as anyone is there, people are going to stay. Right. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what it takes. And I assume it's like some great product and some huge news event kind of in tandem that might be that pull. But I don't know. I like my my sense is Twitter can be broken for a long time and we're going to 
keep having to talk about it because it's just really hard to leave. So Ben Smith, who is the editor-in-chief at BuzzFeed News and left to found, co-found Semaphore, the new news site, he's got a book out called Traffic, which is not out yet, but it's coming out in May. He's coming out of the coder. Traffic is about Gawker versus BuzzFeed in like the early days of the internet. And he's got, it's great, highly recommended when it comes out, but he's got a theory in there that new news sites, new properties come into form, their opportunities that come into form during election years. Mm. Oh, I right. like so that. So he's like BuzzFeed News was like rushed out for an election. I actually remember when I was at Vox.com, we we pushed it to hit the election. We Like that's the moment. Like those cycles, there's lots of news, lots of whatever. This is like, and if you just kind of like look at the history of the media, this is. Yeah. Every four years, for some reason, a new, a new publication. Because <laughs> they line up with mm. elections. Because there's just like, there's two teams and they hate each other. And you can't yeah. get them to talk shit about it. Like, it's just very easy. Yeah. Right. Um, and I just wonder if this upcoming election cycle is when you see a, a mass of like people moving to a new kind of media. So like it's, it's just on my mind that there's a thing happening. The one thing I want to point out before I move on and talk about Spotify completely not knowing what it's doing is Substack put out notes this week, which is basically they added a Twitter feed uh-huh. to Substack in the app that looks exactly like our quick posts uh-huh. on our site. And like the reasoning is exactly the same. Like sometimes you don't want to write a whole thing. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we made that. But this is the next move, right? Is to if you talk to any Substackers, their biggest audience funnel was on Twitter. Yep. Like they they monetize their Twitter audience with Substack. And if that goes away, I'm not sure where the next generation of Substackers finds audience. Yeah, because they can't build it from like TikTok or Instagram. The idea of making a TikTok video that's like sign up for my newsletter <laughs> is so bonkers. Be like, can so you imagine bad. Casey just like dancing for dollars <laughs> on TikTok? Just uh, a little shuffle. So there's just a yawning need for a platform that's like Twitter, a text-based real-time news platform, and someone's going to fill it. And I think that's actually really exciting, regardless in the the chaos of Twitter itself is like regardless of the chaos of Twitter itself. Uh, but it's exciting to see this much activity in that space. Yeah, because there just hasn't been for a long time. But it's not going to be Mastodon. I'm just going to say it now. That's my my third prognostication. So you got? I got. Everybody's going to think the blue check mark's dumb. Elon's going to tweet his dong. <laughs> and Mastodon is not going to be the true successor. What if he tweets his dong on Mastodon? I'll pay you $20 because I'll just be like, oh, my God. I feel strongly incredible. that we should take a break. I quit the moment. podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> We're going to be right back. We got to talk about Spotify. We got to talk about what GM's doing at CarPlay. We'll be right back. Support of The Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. 
If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Welcome back to the Vergecast, where we don't make bets about dogs. No more. It's done. Moratorium on that. It's good. It's yeah. a family show. Find your children. Don't day. explain what's going on. <laughs> we got to talk about Spotify. Yeah. So in the pandemic, mm-hmm. Spotify decided that it was all in on podcasts and then it was all in on live audio. Right. And then it is not. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> it's done with both of those. So Spotify bought this thing called, what was it, Green Room, David? It renamed it Green Room. Um, the app before it was bought by Spotify was called Locker Room because it was specifically about like live talk about sports was like okay. their main thing. And then they renamed it Green Room and they were going to compete with Clubhouse. Which is itself, by the way, just a hilarious statement. They were going to compete with Clubhouse is now with hindsight a very funny Oof. thing to say. It turns out you could compete with Clubhouse. And the thing that competed with the Clubhouse was leaving your house. <laughs> it was outdoors. Like any other room with people in it competed with Clubhouse. Touch grass. <laughs> Look, in the depths of the pandemic, I swear to God, the tech industry was like, all right, we've got them. Brains and vats, they're never leaving the house again. Software will eat not only the world, but the human population. And like, I get it. We, we, I, we had a million versions of this conversation. Like what trends are here to stay and what trends are going to go back and most everybody bet wrong and now all these companies are having layoffs but the reason i want to talk about spotify in particular is their big bet on podcasts is shaky yeah and then this big bet on live audio where you would just like open spotify at the end of the night and talk dudes would be talking Mm. (laughs) does what is next for this company um have they heard of music <laughs> have they heard of like like i think everybody just needs to go look at apple music classical mm-hmm. and do that like if spotify did that and gave you more access to metadata and let you search and and browse that way that would be better than to spend all the money on locker room and rename it green room which i presume is just broadway show tunes so i was reading the comments of your apple music classical piece which was great everyone should go read it and a lot of people in the comments were like this is rune Oh, really? Uh, and so if you don't know what Rune is, Rune is like a wild idea. It is a subscription-based music player that has no music in it. So you got to plug it into a title account or a, a lot of people use this thing called Quobuzz. Is this the one that like you use for your smart home? Yeah, like people integrate it with smart homes, but it's it's a music player. Right. So you like plug it in a title or if you have a big local library on your Linux <laughs> distribution plug server, uh, it'll like read it all. It'll figure out all the metadata. 
It'll show you like lots of links. It'll reorganize the metadata. So like, okay, this guitar player in this song played on this song. Yeah. And like people, the, the thing people say is like, this is just a discovery interface. Like I'm right. just like falling down the rabbit hole of music in a way that like. But you don't have Kazaa to like back up the falling right. down. You got to pay for You got to pay. <laughs> you you got to source your music somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I spent like a significant part of my legal career defending kids who used Kazaa. Thank they, you. They all lost. Oh, no. <laughs> Just like, you know, these are not winnable cases. Yeah, and that's why Lime Kazaa Wire? is a $100 billion company. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they did it, everybody. <laughs> no, but the, the thing about that is, I, I, what I was going to say is what Spotify needs to do is stop thinking about itself as the audio company. Like, that's what they've been saying over and over, right? They're not a music thing. They're about audio. And what it actually seems like needs to happen and where there is much more room for doing interesting stuff is to go all in on music. Like Spotify should take the fact that every musician has a link tree in their social bios as like a direct threat to Spotify. And 100%. like, if you want to buy merch, that should be Spotify. If you want to buy concert tickets, that should be Spotify. Like there is no money to be made in licensing music to stream on a platform. There's a hell of a lot of money to be made in all of the other ways that artists make money. And that all sucks now. Like everybody's mad at Ticketmaster thanks to Taylor Swift. Buying stuff on the internet is a disaster. Everybody's merch stores are ridiculous. Like if I'm Spotify, I'm chasing the entire music industry much more than I'm chasing the audio industry at this point. Yeah. But I but what Spotify wants you to do is pay them fifteen or twenty dollars a month and then keep all the money. Right. <laughs> and the thing you're describing is like, what if other people made money? Right. Like when you listen to music on Spotify, some complicated set of algorithms assigns four cents to every artist that you listen to per stream, whatever. And they've got to give a huge chunk of your subscription dollar away. When you listen to podcasts, that is not true because yeah. they've already bought and ingested right. them. Well, they have like a weird relationship with the music industry, right? Because of the fact that, you know, they only get four cents for every song. But the music play. industry also owns a huge chunk of Spotify. Yeah. So they, so theoretically, they could just go in and be like, okay. You're the new Ticketmaster. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Ticketmaster also owns all the venues. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is a very complicated thing to unwind. I'm just saying, if you look at Spotify's arc, right. right, they desperately tried to keep more of your dollars by pointing you at audio that they already own, they owned outright, so they didn't mm -hmm. have to pay further royalties on, or that other that users are making for free and things like whatever, Spotify Clubhouse Junior or whatever it was called. Green Room. Green Room. <laughs> Clubhouse, Clubhouse Junior is really different. We don't, then, we don't talk about that here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think Spotify is on, in just in a shakier zone yeah. than any of the other big tech companies. Like, we we talk about the other streamer. Like, we'll end up talking about Disney, and it's like war with the state of Florida, and it's reorg, and Netflix, and all this other stuff. And they've all had cuts, and they've, like, stopped spending money. Spotify is a streaming service. Its competitors are Apple and Amazon, which heavily subsidize their services. And then they're a title. Dear Don't forget sweet, about title. Dear Sweet Title, which is part of Block, which has like a research report. It's like Block is built on fraud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very good. Not great. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a weird, a weird moment for that company in particular. Yeah. And it this, the same was with Twitter, right? It's the foundation of like an entire ecosystem. And it's like, what if that one? What if this domino falls? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing for Spotify, though, is I think because the music industry is so invested in it. It, it they just they they can't let it fall right like you let it fall and it's just Apple Amazon and YouTube own the music business and yeah. that for the music business is like an abject disaster so I I would I 
I have high or like Deezer. Like, what if Deezer just wins? <laughs> Go get it, Deezer. Like, I'm in on that plan. Uh, we should talk. So this brings me to CarPlay. Oh yeah. Okay. Everybody's favorite Deezer consumption location. <laughs> <laughs> Only way I listen to Deezer. Uh, well, it's interesting. Like, so GM had an announcement this week. A very odd announcement. They released a fact sheet. And then I think only Reuters like Reddit <laughs> you know? and like Reuters had headlines like GM walks away from CarPlay. And we saw that headline and we were like, no, yeah. that's dumb. And then we acquired the fact sheet, which we published so people could actually see this was sourced because it is such a bonkers thing to say that we didn't think people would believe our headline. <laughs> so we like put the PDF in the story. Um, they're walking away from CarPlay and Android Auto in just the EVs. And their reasoning is that the cars are computers now and that they want to do things like have you used the built-in nav so that when you're on your way to a charging station, the battery's preconditioned so you can charge faster. Yeah, that sounds great. I wish they thought of that 20 years ago. <laughs> like, welcome to the party, GM. I think this is the beginning. I think every automaker is going to start to do things like this in five years. That's oh, the 100%. public reasoning, right? And it's like that, that reading the story, it was like that's the one thing they could think to say that sounded like a feature. And then everything else is just, we don't make any money from CarPlay, and we think there's a lot of money to be made in not CarPlay, right? Like, is there any other way to read this than that? Yeah, Patrick George did a great piece for the site that was just that. He went and spoke to a lot of people, and they're like, oh, yeah, they just want to make money, and so they're going to kill it so that they can, like... Yeah, the future of cars is no steering wheels, and you're shopping all day in the car. Yeah. Or looking at ads while you, like, stream movies or whatever. Just like Minority Report. I have been to enough CES future of car panels where they're like soon we will reclaim the time you spend commuting and it's like oh awesome for what for literature for art and like for advertising <laughs> and e-commerce it's like oh that's not what i thought <laughs> we get 30 <laughs> percent like, to improve the human condition and it's like no 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 shopping candy crush <laughs> uh candy crush so yes i think that's what jam wants to do i do think there's some valid stuff in there right if you make a self-driving car and you don't control the navigation system, you almost certainly have a problem. Are you saying this because you hate CarPlay and you want to support big, big car? Yes, I love big car. <laughs> big car. Big car is my favorite. <laughs> you know, big car. Who doesn't love a big car? Yeah. My parents, by the way, refer to our cars as small, medium, and big. <laughs> that's, that's my mom's like, can we borrow your medium car? It's a real thing that happens. I love that so much. It's very good. No, I I think CarPlay is bad. Like, just yeah. to be clear, I this is my opinion. CarPlay is bad. It is no. superior to have the radio on the bad infotainment screen mm. and then mount your phone using a MagSafe charger. We'll put an affiliate link in the show notes. <laughs> this is my white whale. It's like the world's best MagSafe charger. If you make a new one that's about like 5% better than what I, I will buy it in a heartbeat. I will spend $70 <laughs> on a new MagSafe charger. I'm imagining like, like you know, the people who have second. like McDonald's boxes all over their cars. That's just you with MagSafe chargers. You like can't get in the passenger seat because there's 200 MagSafe chargers. It's a perfect impulse buy gadget. I swear <laughs> to God. Because if you, you can always make it 5% better. The magnets click a little harder. The charging's a little faster. The mount's a little smarter. And you put the map. My phone is almost as big as the infotainment screen in my car. What what year is your car? Uh, the Raptor is a 2020. Okay. And that's a tiny little screen. That's before the new big screen. Okay. So that one is like, whatever. Yeah. Like that's Sync 3. I've sworn on blood oath that I will not buy another Ford until they go to the Android-based system. I'm like, I can't have more Sync in my life. It's real bad. It's not allowed. This is the point, right? Like CarPlay is bad. 
except that it's so much better than everything that anyone else. Absolutely, is not better. Yes, it is way better. So I've got I've got a Mazda CX five. And I know every single time I forget to plug my phone in because I'll be like, I'm just going to call someone. And this robot voice is like, who do you want to call? <laughs> I'm like, who the hell are you? Yeah, I don't know what you're yeah. doing there. You can Bad. make it. I'm just saying. So uh, they're all small screens, except for our new Jeep, which is an Android computer and is basically like a Tamagotchi. Like I have to go into the garage every night and be like, are you OK? He's petting the car. <laughs> and we like this better than CarPlay. Just to be clear, this is an improvement well, it on has just plugging your phone CarPlay. in and everything Do works you know, fine. Uh, consumer satisfaction with car infotainment systems has been going steadily down since wireless CarPlay was introduced because it's, it's like, so unreliable. That's oh, what yeah. Monica was talking about this when we were having a huge argument. And I was telling you, you were both wrong for hating CarPlay because she had it wireless and it kept like disconnecting. And she'd be like driving and it'd be like, where are we going? And she'd be like, where? You should know. <laughs> Right. And so integrated is better than weird fragmented. I'm just yeah. telling you, it is superior to mount your phone in the car using a, I, I should just make a wireless MagSafe charger at this point. <laughs> it's superior to mount your phone, put the map on there mm-hmm. and then do your audio because you can deal with it. You we can just, get through it. We just need a little slot and you just you can even pop your Bluetooth, phone in yeah. and, and it just, it's your phone. Yeah. And just done. Anyhow, the reason I'm zooming out, CarPlay is horrible and I'm correct Ugh. and I don't know what no. it's no, wrong. wrong. It's not good. The only thing you want to do with it is show your maps. Are you so excited about having the one app for music that exists? Like they're literally what the end no, of this is. No, because I'm going to stick my phone on the dash and it's going to start charging through the power of magnetism. It's going to be awesome every time. So you, you can't stop me. You're arguing the for more dongles. Steve Chevy, what are you going to do to my house? Arrest me? <laughs> He's getting in his Pull me car. over. He's I, getting in his small car. Because I used the blinding power of magnets to overcome your stupid infotainment? No. I'm going to do whatever I want. You okay. can see. Well, let make me your just, point, David. Let me just make sure I understand. So what, what you're arguing is I would like to get in my car. I would like to attach my phone to an incredibly powerful magnet. And then I would like to plug my phone in to some thing. No. It's just the magnet is there. It's Are you charging. listening to music out of the speakers of your phone? No, it Bluetooth into the car. GM's going to still let you Bluetooth into the car. Okay. So you're playing your music over Bluetooth. Your steering wheel controls to control the music player. And you got a map on the phone. And you're not stuck in some weird projection system. Mm-hmm. And you've got two screens. What Vergecast listener does not want two screens going instead of one? What if I had one small good screen and one big bad screen? <laughs> like, what a, what a cool future that the is. The Mercedes experience. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just saying CarPlay's not great. And Apple's dream that it would colonize all of the screens in your car is hitting reality. Remember last year at WWC where they're like, here's the future of CarPlay? Yes. And they showed all the logos and all the car companies like, uh. They were like, nuh-uh. <laughs> what are you doing? It's uh, about to be a year later. No car makers have announced any plans to support that version of CarPlay. True. And GM's like, actually, we're not going to support CarPlay at all because we need to take the screen back because this is where people will shop in the future. By giving right? it to Google. Yeah, yeah. Like they're just going to make something crappy. Like all of the other systems, you're still using your phone when you use your very powerful magnet because the system behind your phone is garbage. <laughs> They're all garbage, and CarPlay's just a little better. And I really—that's no, not. I mean, you're, you're but you're, like GM's not going to do better. They did Q. Like your car infotainment in the best case scenario now is like a four-year-old Android tablet. Like congratulations on your <laughs> four-year-old Android tablet. So the, the argument that I'll, I'll give—I don't own a Tesla, but every Tesla owner has already experienced this life, right? 
where like there's no CarPlay integration. They've asked for it. But Tesla's like, this is the future. We want to control your experience in the car. Mm-hmm. We're going to put games on here. We're going to do over-the-year updates every day. Every automaker thinks that's their future, too. Whether or not they can execute at the level that Tesla has executed remains to be seen. Yeah. Like, I think it makes <laughs> sense. They all want to do this. They're doing the exact same thing TV makers did, where they're all like, we're going to own the, the home, and we're going to put in our smart TV in. And most of them have been like, this kind of sucks. Yeah. Go just, buy it. I'm just saying the outrage about GM walking away from CarPlay, if you just look at CarPlay itself, Mm-mm. it's kind of bad. Oh, I love but it. that's that's the thing, like the fact that CarPlay and and there have been all these stats that say like 80 percent of people won't buy a car without CarPlay. It's not because CarPlay is magical software. It's because everything else is <laughs> shit. <laughs> like the, the, the thing about Tesla is like Tesla has people who make good software and has a decent reputation for making good software. And a lot of Tesla people still want CarPlay, but at least this stuff broadly works, right? Like it's right. pretty good software. There is nothing in the history of the auto industry to suggest <laughs> that they know how to make good software. They didn't know how to make good, simple software. Like when all the software had to do was change the radio station, it was horrible. Yeah. And now I'm I'm supposed to assume that these companies are just going to turn around and figure out how to make it. Like CarPlay and Android Auto worked because they were so bad at making software in cars. So they just came and said, well, we're just going to show up and go over the top. And like, what, how, is there any evidence that, that has changed? Isn't one, one of the car makers is doing like a skeuomorphic one, right? Didn't Didn't they all invest in like Epic? Oh yeah, no, they all run Unreal Engine. Oh, yeah. So the new, uh, the new Mustang, uh-huh. which is still sync. Why? Yeah. <laughs> but like uh, the, all the graphics in it are Unreal Engine. There's like uh, uh, Rivians or Unreal such Engine. Such high res sync. Yeah, it's so high res. I much. mean, it, it looks beautiful, and you're like, is this the new Android system that you announced like over eighteen? And they're like, no, no it's not, sir. It's garbage. What it is? <laughs> it's like hot, hot garbage. It's, it's look, QNX will never go away. It's going to be in Ford's forever. And. Um, they did announce an Android-based system. They're supposed, it's supposed to come out. No yeah. one knows when it's coming out. But it runs Unreal Engine, and that's all the graphics. Rivian's run Unreal Engine. There's tons of that going on in the auto space because they know that when they move to EV drivetrains, the actual difference in driving a car will be nil. <laughs> like, they, they, they cannot make it very... They, all the cars are going to kind of be the same. Yeah. Is that why they're all making such futuristic-looking designs to, like... Because they have to loudly exclaim, this is a new kind of car or else no one will notice. Yeah. And put the little Hemi speaker in so it sounds like a Hemi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Hemi impression. Uh, that's not. That's the wrong sound. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Honda impression. <laughs> uh, the, you should, the Fratzonic speaker in the new uh, Charger, the EV Charger or whatever is, no, it's EV Challenger. Yeah. Uh, it It's like rumbles yeah it's like a dinosaur i can't sound. get that low like my voice doesn't go that <laughs> <Yeah>. low <laughs> anyhow they, they're doing it because this is their opportunity to break from history mm-hmm. and they know they're like the ev buyer wants to feel special evs are more expensive sure. and they have to be more expensive because the margins are lower on these cars because they're invented they're full of new technology that hasn't been proven out and then they all think we're all going to not drive and shop in the car like i promise you every auto ceo is like i can't wait for people to start shopping in their cars on our screens where we take 30%. And like the CEO of BMW is like, and soon you'll subscribe to your heated seats. And they're and people hate all of that. Yeah, and no one like likes like Apple Apple was has the benefit of being first movers and the I'm gonna bake a big technological walled garden. And all the car companies are now like 30 years later saying, we're gonna do it too. And everybody's like, no, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah, we're I mean, just heading back to the early days of cell phones where Everybody had their own operating system with their own app store, with their own 
brand new ideas about how to do absolutely everything. The and- weird thing that's different here is they're all picking Android. Because it's easy to <laughs> build fair. on. Well, but it's like weird. So like the GM system is Google built in. Mm-hmm. So it's not 100% clear if the thing is Android. Yeah. Like the operating system is Android. But the navigation is Google Maps. Is it going to have like Play Store in it? Ooh, don't yeah. Know. Like, um, is it is it Android like Huawei is Android, or is it Android like? So my Jeep is Android like Huawei is Android. Yeah, and boy does it show. <laughs> <laughs> boy, is that obvious? And that's bad. That's like not a place to go. Like they're very proud of it. Getting three guys who just graduated from college to build your entire car infotainment system seems like a bad idea. And that's kind of the sense of what I get from all of these these attempts. Right. They've all forked Android in some way. Or they're using QNX and Google is there to be their mapping provider. Yeah. Or there's Android Automotive, which is Google's a whole OS of your car, which is like what Polestar uses. Mm-hmm. But just in response to David, they're all picking Google services. So Google is colonizing more of the auto industry, whereas Apple is like, what if we do all the screens for you? Same with TVs. They did the same thing, right? None of the TV makers wanted to they all wanted to build their own TV stuff. And then one day they said, oh, Android does it good enough. And then we can still slap all our logos on everything and, and pop it out. And yeah, that's what they've done. So Android's just doing that again for a new market. Yeah, it's like it's hard to see. Consumers don't change their cars enough. Right. So it's like that market is just moving way, 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 way slower. Yeah. Because it's like every, what, 10 years? I don't know. Yeah. It's I market. just got this car. And Who knows? Have it yeah, forever. forever. Have you gotten a MagSafe mat for you? No, because I, I, I plug in with the lightning and then I throw it in my my. I'm just going to get, I, I've got like a drawer full of them. I'm just going <laughs> to get like, you just one. Just bring me one. <laughs> bring me your second best one. You can keep your best one, but bring me like your oh, second. The idea that I'm giving you my best one is like completely <laughs> off the table. Like, I don't absolutely even know why you, not. You open that door just to suggest that I give on, you the best on. one. I just like, I, how are you going to convince me otherwise? I really need to feel that snap. <laughs> it's very good. Oh my God. Oh, a, good, a good MagSafe click. It's very good. Anyhow. Yeah. This is, I'm telling you by the, by at WWDC this year, Apple will say nothing about CarPlay. This is my prediction. Okay. Because it has gone nowhere. It's all, it's all going to be headset talk anyway. And then this time next year, two more automakers will have dropped phone projection. Mm. That's my other prediction. I can see it. Well, that's no dongs in sight. glad I bought a car already. <laughs> yeah. My bets are better than you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to take a break and we got a little bit of a lightning round. There's a lot going on in this lightning round. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L. V-A-N-29.com. All 
All right, we're back. <laughs> what? I'm super right. I just realized at some point on the Vergecast, we're going to do an entire segment about Neli's favorite MagSafe chargers, and I yes. could not be more excited about it. Right now, I'm on Belkin. <laughs> With, like, I've got a Mophie one in the in the truck. Uh huh. No, I don't. <laughs> don't. I have a Moment one in the truck. I want to just hear the click. I want you to do a whole segment where you just click them all against the microphone. So we can really oh, hear that's it really for good. You. Yeah. Andrew, our producer, just instantly greenlit that segment. Absolutely guaranteed. Uh, Done. So the, the truck is weird because there's not a, 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 a cigarette port, a power port yeah. close enough to it. It's just a weird situation. So I can use the Moment ones, which aren't actually chargers. And Moment uses stronger magnets. Ooh. And they're very proud of their stronger magnets, which are not MagSafe approved. So if you get in a car accident, your phone probably isn't <laughs> twirling around. All the metal in your car is just going to attach to the <laughs> That's very good. Welcome to the third segment of the Vergecast, where we just continue the previous segment about how cool magnets are. Uh, MagSafe is legitimately my favorite feature on the phone. Is that your lightning rod? Have you done the thing where you hang the puck in your bathroom yet next to your mirror? No. You got to get a MagSafe. They're like five bucks on Amazon. Like a... I live in a, a small apartment in Whatever. New York Just City. hang the puck on the mirror, and then when you're like brushing your teeth, you can like have YouTube TV open. It's great. I'm all right. All right. Okay. I'm telling. Right. It's like it's the best thing you can do. I'll believe you. All right. I believe you in my heart. I'm never gonna do it. <laughs> Again, but I'm a person who has a five year old in their house, I'm like this is my me time, baby. <laughs> I'm like just like rocking and rolling, Close the watching door. TV in the bathroom. <laughs> all right, lightning round. David, you start. Sure. So uh, I had two. We'll do, they're both fairly quick. Uh, the first one is that Walmart rolled out a big redesign of its website because Walmart, which I have been proclaiming is a secret, like sneaky tech giant and nobody realizes it, is now a drastically better looking website than Amazon.com, which yes. uh, a very funny thing that happened this week was when this news came out, everybody sort of all at once had this moment on our staff of being like, wait, Amazon is ugly. Like what a bad website Amazon.com is. And we've all just been sort of slowly like frog boiling in water to amazon.com and we just didn't realize it's a hideous website and then walmart which used to be a like roughly equivalently hideous website came out and said like oh we care about curation and we're going to make things look a little nicer and we're going to use like colors and the names of things aren't going to be 65 words long and we're going to have like a, a thing that actually makes sense for shopping and everybody's just like oh amazon sucks and that was my <laughs> favorite part of this whole thing it was like walmart did a redesign and everybody's like you know it's bad it's amazon.com yeah it does look very pretty. It's nice. It looks nice. I'm still not going to shop there, but like, I, I appreciate that Walmart was like, we're getting our asses kicked and we're actually going to come back and, and go after a big tech company, even though we're just the guys that like destroy small towns with our giant, very convenient and lovely shopping centers. Uh, we had the CEO of Barnes & Noble on Decoder. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is a quite a turnaround for you. You remember you used to like destroy small town bookstores and he's like, you know, Amazon exists now. <laughs> he's like, don't worry about it. We're the little guys. We're, we're what you need. Like, he's like, small bookstores can't exist without Barnes & Noble because they are the distributor to the small bookstores now. Wow. Ooh. So like your local independent bookseller is like, it needs a Barnes & Noble to exist. Otherwise, Amazon will crush it. That's very incredible. Good. I love that. I don't know if Walmart is that thing for people, but. Not yet. Not quite yet. Quite a take though. But yeah, Walmart has been on this like, relentless quest to just solve logistics in a way I think is super funny and interesting that during the pandemic, they they started talking a lot about we're going to turn our stores into essentially like super optimized warehouses for Instacart shoppers to come pick stuff up. And they were really big on curbside pickup. And they've just they have this like omni channel 
buy everything any way you want. It all magically appears at your house vision in their head. And I don't know if it's what anyone actually wants out of their life, but it is the vision that I, that that Walmart has. And I find it sort of fascinating watching them go after well, it. They're like, they saw Amazon doing what they do best and doing it a little better. And they went, oh, wait, no, we're the biggest guy in the room. We're not just going to give that up and as a me- have a meet because they were for the longest time, they were like the largest employer in the United States. And Amazon took that over. And so Walmart's like, no, 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 we can employ the most people. <laughs> no, we actually already have all these warehouses built out. We don't have to go do it. We just call them stores, right. super centers. And in fact, we can just fill that with crap and get it to you faster. So like that part of it, I think, is really, really interesting. They just said, nah. We're really good at doing this. F you. There's a weird set of rumors that Walmart will be the one to buy TikTok, which I think is just like perfect. Oh what? Uh, it's very good. I don't know if it's true. I just love this for the wall. Just heard the rumors. Okay, here's my pick. Speaking of Amazon, okay, and things Amazon does. Pretty devastating report in the Hollywood Reporter this week about Amazon Prime Studios. Ooh, yeah, yeah. how badly rough. it's going over there. Uh, I'm just going to do the disclosure now. <laughs> I'm going to talk about streaming. Get ready. Buckle up. Comcast, NBC Universal Division, is an investor in Vox Media. They own Peacock. Uh-huh. They Comcast did not love me, but they own Peacock. That's uh-huh. a competitor. Uh, we made a Netflix show. I'm the EP of a Netflix show. Um, I've used Hulu. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> everyone in this room has opinions about the I like Succession. It's on HBO. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Disclosures. Amazon Prime Video they invested a ton of money in the Lord of the Rings series. Yep. 37% completion rate. It's brutal. No did one you, talks about did it. Did you watch it? No. Yeah. Yes. No. I watched all of it. It's for nerds. What do I like? It about? was real bad. I got like, I fell asleep. I did like laundry during it. It was yeah. one of those shows. <laughs> yeah. When I was told it was slow, their quote in the piece was like, we, we're definitely doing a second season. This was all world building. <laughs> Which is bad. Ooh, yeah. Season one was just set up for season two. A hundred million dollars of world building. Yeah. Whatever. Nerds. Uh, yeah, nerd stuff. Yeah. Um, look at these wizards, huh? Elves? Here are some elves. <laughs> That's what it was, though. You're right. That's what it was. <laughs> like, that was the show. Have you met hobbits? You love those, right? Here's some. Soon they'll all collide. <laughs> it was. It's, it's just a very slow show. Uh, but the bigger point is. Amazon's entire idea about this thing is you will subscribe to Prime, then you'll get great shows, and that'll make you stay subscribed to Prime so you keep shopping on Prime. Right. And the thing itself does not need an identity. It just has to be good enough that you're happy about it and stay subscribed to Prime. What is fascinating to me, and Alex, I really want your view of this, is the normals that I know mm-hmm. are all Fire TV people. Yeah. Like everyone, all of Becky's aunts really? are like Fire TV people. Not Roku? Not Roku. It's all Fire TV. Huh. It's bonkers to me. That's wild. And I'm like, are they happy with Prime? Are I they th- watching The Lord of the Rings? I think clearly not. Prime is stealthy. Like it does, technically, it has like the, the largest number of subscribers or the second largest, over 200 million subscribers. But they're also, that's because they're also just regular Prime shipping subscribers. Yeah. And so most people I don't think really think about it that often, except for them when they want to watch a movie and it happens to have it. Or they they heard like, a leave of their own. And then they watched it and went, this is gay. Because it's very gay. It's great. Watch it. But uh, a lot of people then were like, no, I didn't want that. And click out. Um, so I don't think as many people are engaging with it. And, we, and we're there. that was a big part of that piece, too, was about how it hasn't had a big hit. Like yeah. The closest it's had is a couple like bro shows like The Boys and The Boys is great. Jack Reacher. 
Do you like Jack Reacher? I didn't watch yeah. Jack Reacher. Real bro. Like, it's like yeah. bro spy show. The Boys is particularly weird because I think people are taking the wrong message from The Boys. Yes. Which is that Homelander is cool. And it's like, mm, that's not it. That's yeah. not what that show's about. <laughs> They're like, what if white supremacy was awesome? No, no, wrong, wrong. <laughs> was, yeah. Kill it. What if we lasered everyone's heads if they pissed us <laughs> off? That would rule the boy. It's like, no, yeah, that's no. not. Yeah. That's not it, everyone. But most people, it's it doesn't have these big moments. Like, it got Fleabag, but Fleabag wasn't even an Amazon show. They picked it up. They acquired it from, I think, the BBC or something. And That's fine. Yeah. Well, and then, and this was a detail that, that was in the story. Amazon then gave Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who created Fleabag, a truckload of money to make more stuff. And then she didn't make anything for them. So she was um, supposed to make the part of the issue here is that their their idea is, OK, we need to get people on board. So we're going to throw money at creators, which reasonably good, especially nowadays where everybody's throwing money around. That's yeah, what everybody. But did. then they're not yeah. following through. And so like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Donald Glover were supposed to make a Mr. and Mrs. Smith show. There was things did not go well there. There were some personality classes clashes and stuff. So they they parted ways and she's still now doing a Tomb Raider show, but she has a tendency to go and come up with the idea for a show and then walk away. Huh. Because that's what she like Killing Eve. She did the first season and she was like, this is cool. Bye. And the show got progressively worse as different showrunners came on. The first season's amazing. Though. It's really good. It's I, the so show good. still was great. I loved it. But yeah, so they're doing that a bunch. They're just throwing money at people and then being like, hey, did you you do anything with that 20 mil we gave you? No? Cool. Here's <laughs> Why another Why can't 20. I get these deals? <laughs> right? Like, I got to go do that. That sounds great. The thing that really strikes me with all of these mm -hmm. is the harshest criticism, and I think the most devastating criticism in the story, is they don't know what they want. Yes. Yeah. Right? And that is, to some extent, the criticism of Netflix. All the big sort of data-driven, to some extent, the criticism of YouTube is like, this thing has no point of view. It's just a mishmash of stuff. It's all driven by data. Well, and they hired, so the person who's running Amazon Prime, she was hired to have vision. And she does have vision. Like, she was a big fan of Ali of their own. She's been pushing some other stuff. And she's running into conflict with the people who are data-driven. And then also the stuff that she puts all her effort into. Aren't Does, making, it's not, not working. Doesn't actually land. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So it's, well, that wasn't her, her deal. Like, she came in to do that. That was Jeff Bezos being like, I want to watch my nerd show. And, the and the they, Expanse. Yeah. Which spun completely in, like, literally into orbit. Yeah. <laughs> the second they went through that gate, I was like, this show's done. Like, and I'm over it. More seasons came. And yeah. Yeah. They kept making so it. So many seasons. Uh, I just want to compare that to HBO, mm -hmm. which absolutely has a point of view and just like fires off hit after hit. Right. Even with all the corporate chaos of HBO and ATT and all the rest, they're like, what we do is we make things we like. And then we show them to people. And that's how you get the White Lotus and Succession and all the rest of it. And it just doesn't seem like the tech companies that want to take over streaming have gotten it, with the notable exception of Apple. Yeah. Apple's the only one. And they they and that was partly because they hired a bunch of HBO people. Yeah. So part of this is is Amazon doesn't want to listen to to these people that they hire. They go and they hire them and they're like, let's do this. And Amazon's like, nah, let's do this other stuff. And, and so there's just this constant disconnect. And Netflix is having the same issue. Netflix is totally driven by the algorithm to the point that it cancels shows that are really, really popular and then gets people furious and lots of bad press and everybody yells at them. And Apple has figured this out because they just trusted that we don't know what we're doing here. We're going to pay people who do and let them work and like get out of the way and also give them a ton of money to do it. <laughs> yeah. Just a ton of money. <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, Apple 
has had its share of stinkers. It's just also had some really massive successes in a way that Amazon hasn't. But the thing for me is it's always been like this at Amazon. Mm -hmm. Like, do you remember when Amazon would put out a bunch of pilots and let people vote on which ones they thought should go to series? Like, it turns out that if you do the whole Amazon thing, which is like start with what the customer wants and, you know, go out to the end, which is how Amazon says it does everything, you're going to get shitty stuff because people don't know what they want. And if you ask people what they want, they're going to say Lord of the Rings. And then you have to make a good Lord of the Rings show. And that's much harder than just saying, do you like Lord of the Rings? But then on the flip side, Amazon, at least as far as I can tell, has never been at all clear about what its video stuff is for. And even in the course of this story, they talked a bunch about like one of the compelling things about Lord of the Rings was all the like merchandising opportunities, right? And they they've talked about this with football too that if you get people to sign up like we're going to be able to sell you football related things like maybe you'll buy your Tostitos through Thursday night football and that that's actually as big a victory as getting you to watch Thursday night football through Prime Video. And so there's just been this weird thing where it's like what what are these shows and movies here to accomplish for Amazon and I don't necessarily think Amazon has a clear answer to that. They at least have not communicated that to Hollywood. And until they do, it's going to keep being the same thing where people just come in. They're like, what, what do you want from us? Like, what does success look like here? And, yeah. and they had even people saying that. I think the guy that did A League of Their Own was like, what do you want from us? Like, greenlit our show. <laughs> they want to sell baseball pads. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> Just the little girls. All right. This is the longest lightning round ever. You can tell we have a lot of feelings about this story. Yeah. But it is notable that the data-driven streamers are not producing hits at the rate of the people who are just like, have taste. Yeah. There's a lesson there. Shock. All right. What's your lightning round item? Ooh. So mine is kind of, I'm I'm folding two in together because we had some handheld news this week. So first of all, Asus on April Fool's Day, it was like... This was not great. It was really bad. Asus was like, hey, we're going to do a really cool handheld. April Fool's, and everybody's like, well, that's stupid. Like, the Steam Deck exists. You could have done that. And then a few days later, they're like, oh, actually, we are doing it. And everybody's <laughs> like, well, that was stupid. Why didn't... Why did you message it with April Fool's? And I think the idea there was supposed to be you'd get really excited and wish it existed and then be really excited when it did exist. Uh, the, uh, the classic April Fool's gambit. Yeah, and instead they just <laughs> pissed everybody off. And we don't really know a lot about the pricing or what's involved. There's a couple of YouTubers that have seen it so far. It seems potentially really cool. It runs Windows. Could be neat. Could be $600 and nobody would want to spend that on a handheld when a Steam Deck's Why is it called the ROG Ally? Because it's your ally in gaming. Oh, my God. Also, have you ever seen Asus's product names? ROG Ally is like so the best it's ever ROG been. <laughs> is Republic of Gamer, which was a gaming yeah. thing that they acquired years ago. And so they just... This is the ally. Yeah. All right. It's your friend. I'll take it. And then the other part of this is Sony is considering also making a handheld super late to that party in some respects, even though they did the Vita and they did the PSP and they're both were great overpriced nobody bought them except for me and probably sean i had a psp okay you me and sean yeah we were the three that owned the psp it was great mine was pink did i have a vita too there's a real chance i might have had a vita along the vita was like it had like 3g in it you're like it's like it's practically a phone i can justify this purchase it's weird that a gadget made so little impression that i can't remember if i owned one but it feels (laughs) like the sort of thing that i bought it was not great the games were great for it but so sony is Looking into this again, curiously, not for cloud gaming. That's probably because they have a really bad cloud gaming infrastructure. They farmed it all out to Microsoft. They don't, everybody's now, somebody's going to yell at me in the comments and I'm sorry. I know you all love it and it works, but it's garbage. (laughs) 
So they're not making it for that. They're making it for remote play. So you can just play your PS5 far away from your house. That makes sense. But that might be the only thing you can do with it. And how much is it going to cost? Because everybody's struggling to get it under $400. And why would you spend $400 on something to just play your PS5 that's at home when you could spend $400 on the Steam Deck that lets you do that and play other games? I would assume (laughs) this has to be coming alongside some, like, huge expansion in Sony's cloud gaming stuff. Because if not, you're exactly right. This just becomes, like, history's most expensive, barely useful PlayStation peripheral. Just slightly edging the the move sticks that existed, but uh, <laughs> just the reporting was it. was like emphatically like it's not for cloud gaming; it's for remote play, which is why it's so weird. Also, the name is bad. What's the name? Q Light. <laughs> it's okay. It's worse than Rog Ally. Yeah, it was like which do you want, Rog Ally or QAnon? The video. Let's hope that's a let's hope that's a code name. Yeah. Can I tell you? Whatever they can do, whatever they want. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> You'll buy it. Sony needs to put PSVR 2 Gran Turismo demo stations in every mall and store <laughs> and 7-Eleven in America. How many times have you vomited playing it? No. So the first day was really bad. Okay. So I had Addy send me one of our PSVR 2 review units, and then I bought a Logitech G923 wheel and pedals and a, Love it. And a chair. Just- it's... I was like, whatever, this is fully ridiculous. But I live in the woods. I'm in the basement. No one can see me. Headset on. And the first day I was like, ooh, this is a mistake. Super queasy. And then uh, just a couple days later, it's fine. Okay. So a couple days of queasy. I'm obsessed. It is like being in the stupid cars. Love that. Do, do, do you like miss the brake? Do you have brake pushback and stuff? Like uh, when a real car, you can feel it when you're braking? No, okay. because it's just... They're plastic pedals. I don't <laughs> I know. Like, you know you can spend like thirty grand on this setup, Neilai, and I feel like we are we're headed down a dangerous yeah, road. I've spent a bunch of credit card points and <laughs> fine. <laughs> like I haven't spent like it was like a hundred dollars and a bunch of credit card points to accomplish this setup. It is le- legitimately the most compelling thing you can do in VR. Yeah. Like it is so cool. It's so much fun. Uh you convince yourself that you're moving, which is biz- like absolutely bizarre. Uh-huh. To be sitting dead still, holding a plastic wheel that you cannot see because you're wearing a VR headset and like leaning your body. Like, it's crazy. I took off. My wife came down the stairs the other day and I took off the headset. And I literally went, you got to try this. <laughs> and she was like, what is wrong with you? I just went right back up the <laughs> stairs. Like, I'm out of here. For all of the, we talked so much about last week, talked about AR, killer apps, all this stuff. It's an incredibly complicated full setup. Yeah. It's like $1,500 worth of stuff, Right. You need a PS5, you need a headset, which is another five, six hundred dollars. You need to buy a wheel. It's all ridiculous. Chair. Uh, and you can. You can spend like thirty thousand dollars on like full motion eye racing PC based. Yep. Max Verstappen, the F one racer, has a full rig in his trailer. So he leaves F one races and then sim races against people using his real name. Which is incredible. It's badass. Devastating. Sim racing as yourself is the coolest imaginable <laughs> thing. And all that's fine. And like I have friends and I've tried those things on screens with the three, three screens around you. I'm telling you, you, put on the VR headset. You're like, oh, this is the coolest thing you can do in VR. Yeah. Sony needs to throw this cloud gaming, whatever. <laughs> get people the headsets with the racing games. That should, that's like their Tetris. Yeah. It's $1,500 of sim racing setup. Uh, also, it judges you every time you put it on. It's like, are you sitting down again? And it's like, I'm definitely sitting down again. <laughs> it's like, don't you want to play driving? standing up, moving around? It's like, no, no, no. I'm in the chair, bro. Stationary <laughs> mode. What's up? <laughs> yeah. 
Let's go. It's like, every time it's like, are you uh, you're stationary again? Huh? It's like, sure am. Let's just put the pedal to the metal, bro. <laughs> it's very good. Okay. One more. Wait, how many picks are we at? That was like one each, basically. We did one each. You you get one more, and then I think we should probably go. All right. Let me wrap this up. Last lightning round item. This is me just assigning myself a story again. We'll have it on the website tomorrow. Okay. Something is happening in Wisconsin. <laughs> Cheese? It's, no. 49ers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is leaving. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only things anyone can think of. <laughs> so as you know, I'm obsessed with the, the Fox on Plot, which is just minutes away from the tra- my childhood home in Wisconsin. Yeah. They're going to do something on it. And it's not coffee robots or whatever nonsense they claimed they were doing. It's definitely not building TVs. AKAI. Yeah, wait. So the first thing, let's just, let's run through the history of this real fast. So it was. (laughs) Real fast? Do you think it was going to be, it was going to be TVs, right? Yes. So in the Trump administration, Donald Trump, golden shovel, breaks ground with Terry Goh, the chairman of Foxconn, says we're building a TV factory in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin. They ram it through, they bulldoze houses. The whole thing. AI 8K plus 5G. Sure. The plus. They're going to do 15,000 jobs, billions in tax subsidies. I don't need to tell you that this did not happen. (laughs) It was never going to happen, and it definitely did not happen. At one point in the course of this story, when they broke ground on the factory, uh, display experts told us that foundation doesn't look correct for an LCD fab. And we asked them, and they said, the special clay soil in Wisconsin does not means that we do not need to build the foundation that you need in the rest of the world. And I went, I'm from there. And no one ever told me that the dirt was special. (laughs) (laughs) So that was weird. So then they built this weird building. They call it the multi-purpose building. It is all but empty. They used it for storage. They had it rezoned to storage. They claimed they had coffee robots. They think they're making server boards for Google there, but they won't claim. No reporters have ever been there. There's a tiny dome (laughs) that they claim is a data center, but the actual data center is in shipping containers outside the dome. It's, it's all very good. Geodesic dome, right? Yeah, it's like a little. Oh. It's so. It's like by my parents' house. Every time I go home, I look at it. I'm like, it's so small. <laughs> it's just a little little snow globe data center, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not. It's just like a conference center. You can rent it out for weddings. <laughs> Anyhow, first of all, let's let's do that. Yeah. yeah if any Vershaw listeners are getting married, um, <laughs> in might I interest you in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin? <laughs> Eli will officiate your wedding at the <laughs> That's dome. That's true. Uh, every time uh, when my sister got married, my parents renovated the house. When my when I got married, they did the backyard. My par- <laughs> they're looking to do the bathroom, and apparently it takes a wedding to kick them into gear. So if you're so listening to get this, get at us. <laughs> <laughs> let me know. Uh, <laughs> so there's a news report. Uh, somebody tweeted this at me and just looking at Twitter in the background, uh-huh. I, I came upon it days late. Mount Pleasant, the board that approved the Foxconn deal, just like quietly announced that Microsoft would be building a data center there. They did this a week before the election. So they announced this thing, Microsoft is building a data center. Mm-hmm. They have not taken the votes to do it, but they announced it before the election to prove that Foxconn is a great idea. So I'm looking at the story and I'm like, I don't, I don't know about this. Yeah. I will say Microsoft President Brad Smith is from Appleton, Wisconsin. Loves Wisconsin. There's a big tech campus at Lambeau Field called Titletown Tech. Okay. Man loves Wisconsin. He likes investing in Wisconsin. Love it. Love it for me. Love it for him. Uh, I've not yet been invited to Lambeau Field. I'm just putting that out there. (laughs) But I feel like as two hometown boys, we could really vibe. So I asked Microsoft. Microsoft sends me the following statement. Uh, This is all they say. Our data center campus investment plans with the village of Mount Pleasant in Racine County are part of Microsoft's long-term commitment for the local communities in Wisconsin. We look forward to our work there. 
Other than that, we don't have more to say, nor are we doing interviews. <laughs> so that's nothing. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, can I talk to anyone about how many jobs are, will this data center? It's a room full of servers. It's a one job. Yeah, Microsoft data centers are around the country. You can see they don't make a lot of jobs and they know it. Kevin Scott, the CTO of Microsoft, has a whole book about how data centers don't make a lot of jobs. <laughs> it's a great book. He was on, again, on Dakota. We've talked about it. He's like, this is not the thing that is like an engine of job creation. Yeah. But you need to have them. And like, then you build infrastructure and you have power grids and this helps local communities. Uh, they're getting tax rebates and subsidies for it, as always. And Mount Pleasant and Foxconn are like, this is what happens when you build the infrastructure. The clients will come. And it's like, no, you guys were, you tore down people's homes to build a TV factory. Where's the TV factory? Where are the jobs? Where are the jobs? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be tracking the Microsoft data center in Mount Pleasant. I'm sure they're actually going to build it. But They I think literally, was- they field of dreams did. They just, if you build it, they will come. Just throw up a giant empty building and somebody will come put servers in. And by in it. it, just to be specifically clear, is it is declaring the land on which people's homes sit as blighted, tearing them all down, trucking water from Lake Michigan over there, and building a power substation for no one <laughs> to lie fallow for three years so that eventually Microsoft is like, yeah, sure, we'll put one there. <laughs> classic field of dreams <laughs> <laughs> that's it i mean that's field of dreams too just the movie we're, uh so we're well, again we're tracking it i i don't know what to tell you <laughs> like, <laughs> it is very silly i think it is very odd that microsoft isn't like pounding its chest they're building a data center in southeastern wisconsin like they just they just don't want to talk about it yeah neil when do you run for mayor of Racine, wisconsin this is the only outcome here uh I don't know that I could get my dad to vote for me, so that's going to be tough. <laughs> you did swear once on TheVerge.com. He didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, did. My parents were not. I think I could get my mom. Okay. It's uh, a good start. Yeah. Just promise you'll never swear again. Would that help? I don't know that I'm prepared to make these commitments <laughs> to the people of Wisconsin today. <laughs> and I will consider my options at this time. Uh, you're hearing from my attorney. <laughs> We're not doing interviews. <laughs> no interviews. No press. Sorry. No sorry. press. <laughs> all right. That's it. That's a Vergecast. I promise that all the stories we talked about will be published. David will publish about Activity Pub. Yes. I will write about Wisconsin. I made no promises today. <laughs> but you did one last week. Yeah. Right? I did one last week. I, I did. The Apple one. Music Classical. Yeah. So right. I promised it and I delivered. I swear to God, this entire show for is you. just for us to ideate stories to put on the website. But that's why you love it. That's the Vergecast. Uh, stuff on the website you should look at. Uh, we do have a retrospective of the Lisa going on, the Apple Lisa, the precursor to Macintosh with the Computer History Museum. It's great. Go look at it. I really want people to read McKenna's story about the Donald Trump protests in front of the Manhattan courthouse and how they everyone there was a streamer it is one of the vergiest verge stories we've ever published it's very good it's really good and we have the same with the home assistant sky connect which is another just extremely verge story it's so verge it's so nice like that's the range and then take the color quiz whatever uh david do you want to tell people to vote for the people's choice award Yes. So the Vergecast is nominated for a Webby Award for Best Technology Podcast. Um, we're currently losing to a TechCrunch podcast. Uh, I like TechCrunch fine. They're all lovely people. I would like to destroy them and bury them in the ground with our <laughs> votes. Uh, please go. We'll put the link in the show notes. Please go vote for the Verge so that we can gloat to everyone we ever met that we on the Webby and they didn't. It's please like a spring. Yeah.
Yeah, the award itself is rad looking, and I want one. So <laughs> let's let's get it. Very good. Uh, that's it. That's for chest. Rock on. And that's a wrap for Vergecast this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or tell a friend. You can send us feedback at vergecast at theverge.com. This show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. This episode was edited and mixed by Amanda Rose Smith. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. And that's it. We'll see you next week.